Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time again for Focus. Thank you for joining us today. This is our continuation of our interview with Nashville psychologist, Dr. Katherine Sherrod. And we had kind of a cliffhanger last week because I asked her, do hurt people hurt people? And you... Uh, what I said was, hurt people who become angry toward others hurt other people, and hurt people who become angry toward themselves tend to hurt themselves. But hurt and anger are opposite sides of the same coin. So if you find one, you're going to find the other. And then you drop this little knowledge bomb on us about us reacting in a different way. This was from last week. Then the next time somebody calls me a name, I might say, gee, I wonder why you're having such a bad day today. Why are you taking something that's going on with you out on me when I have nothing to do with it? I, I'm sorry that you're doing that, but, but I'm not involved. And then I can be centered enough I can be stable enough to realize that when someone attacks me, it never was about me. It was about them, and I happen to be standing in the line of fire. So somebody's just unloaded on me, and I was just in the line of fire. That is how I can look at it. Rather than thinking they were attacking me, Mm -hmm. they were attacking. And I happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. And so they took their venom out on me. But if I weren't there, they would have taken their venom out on someone else. So I would be interchangeable with someone else in that circumstance because this person is looking to hurt somebody, to upset somebody, to put them down, to release their emotional distress on somebody else. And when I realize that what other people do is generally about themselves, then I don't take it personally. And I get to ask myself, gee, I wonder what happened to you today that you're being so unkind. Isn't that interesting? Let me ask you a different way. Do you know people who are generally gracious and compassionate and considerate? Sure. Yes. Okay. Are they typically gracious and compassionate and considerate to most people? Yes. Which means it's coming from them. And so the people to whom they're gracious and considerate might feel singled out, but the reality is They are just in the line of fire, as it were. It's not because I'm so wonderful. (laughs) And unfortunately, probably not. (laughs) Nice. Um, So when we realize that goes both ways, that the very kind and gracious people can be kind and gracious to almost everyone they meet, the irritable people can be irritable to almost everyone they meet. When you see a movie or read an interesting book, the classics often circle around a misunderstanding. I thought you betrayed me when we were 16 and you, whatever it was you did, you stole my purse. And then I discovered that's not what happened at all. And so I've been harboring this, this anger toward you for decades, but it was only because I was so small-minded in my interpretation of things that I thought you did something you didn't do. Yeah. And then I harbored anger about it. The same thing can happen in a smaller way in our lives. Um, We believe someone just ignored us. We know this person. We wave at them. They kind of look through us and go on. Well, why were they being disrespectful to me? Why don't they want to acknowledge me? We discover later that that person's brother died that morning. Yes, they saw us, but they didn't see us because they weren't seeing anything. They were going through life in a daze. Mm -hmm. And so... If we take personally what other people do to us, then we're missing the fact that typically what's going on with them is going on with them. And yes, when we get close to them, um, 
we get the overflow. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean it was about us. That's hard to remember because it feels personal. Well, uh, why do we choose to take it so personally? Are we trying to play the victim sometime? Or no, I don't think anyone wants to play the victim. Um, what I think it is is, if you were growing up, did you hear? Watch your words. You don't want to upset someone. Watch your don't hurt somebody's feelings. Mm-hmm. As if you have the power to upset someone or you have the power to hurt someone's feelings, which I maintain you don't because you can say you're the ugliest person God ever created. Okay. And someone could take it personally. Yeah. Or someone could say, how long did it take you to come up with that terrible line? I mean, (laughs) you can go as the recipient of this, you can go anywhere with it, but that's not how we were trained. Watch what you say. Be careful of your words. You can't take your words back. If you say something unkind, you could hurt somebody for the rest of their lives. We are often teaching our children that they're responsible for other people's reactions. Oh, wow. And so I spend half my time with my clients saying, you're not responsible for other people's reactions. Whoa. If they're angry with you for wearing a red shirt or whatever it is they happen to be reacting to at the moment, realize that that's about them Let's figure out how you've come to take it personally, because it isn't about you. Right. And that's just doing a lot of untraining, undoing the training that went in the wrong direction. So uh, another portion of what I like to work with people on is helping them understand that they don't have control of the outcome. Should I take this job or should I take that job? Should I stay home and not go back to work? Should I retire? Whatever. And if you ask the question from a perspective of, if I make the right decision, then I'll get the right outcome, I will guarantee you an unhappy life. Because under no circumstances do you own the outcome. You can only own doing your best. And then having done your best, I teach people that you are resilient enough and flexible enough to deal with what happens. And then you go in whatever direction seems reasonable based on what happened when you did your best the first time. But no, there isn't frequently a right decision and a wrong decision. I mean, there are some. Yeah. Robbing a bank is usually a wrong decision. I mean, I I can give you wrong decisions. Yeah. But to take this job or not take this job, to move to another state, to retire, to to get married, to get divorced, whatever, Mm -hmm. there typically is not a right answer from the perspective of you can predict the outcome. I'm glad you brought this topic up because there are so many decisions that are going to have to be made uh right. one, one thing do i go out do i not go out do i right. do this to new jobs businesses are closing down uh people are going to be faced with a lot of hard decisions and and right. a lot of doubt a lot of self-doubt exactly and the self-doubt is higher when you hold yourself responsible for making the right decision that will bring the right outcome but i tell you you have zero chance of predicting the outcome i mean think about your life have you predicted <laughs> what each of your decisions would lead to? Lord, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, not even close. And so why suddenly are you going to make a decision that's going to lead to a predictable outcome? However, I've survived my decisions. Exactly. And I'm thriving. And perhaps because you, you're thriving because you've learned from your decisions and yeah. the outcomes. Right. And you've made a, a different move because you were in a different place than you expected to be, which is fine. That yes. happens. Yeah. That's what we want. We want you to do your best. And when you wind up at a place you never expected, look around, gather new information, do your best again, and be prepared to be resilient from the next change that you didn't expect.
so somebody turned me on to a song just the other day, and it was a, a song by a woman who was talking to an ex-lover, and she was furious. And it, basically, the gist of the song was kind of like, I hope you die in rotten hell, that kind of thing. Yeah, right, and right. I could not get into that song that much. And he was a little disappointed because he said that's beautiful that it shows that she's empowered and she's able to vocalize that strong anger and that strong emotion. And I said, I respect that and I understand that. Yeah, no. Well, well, but see, I could not I could not go there. Why are you saying no? Well, to me, that's not a legitimate anger uh, because you ruined my life. I hate you. You know, I hope you die and go to hell. Yeah, the Whatever. mess you left. The, the mess you left, right. You left, yeah. Um, and so, of course, I'm not taking any ownership of it. Normally, when I'm in a relationship with somebody, even if I hate their terrible guts, I had something to do with something. Yes. So I, I think it's important to realize that when we have that kind of vitriolic anger, I want harm to come to you. Mm-hmm. To me, that wounds the person who harbors the anger it whether it wounds the person at whom we dump the anger i'm not sure but it definitely wounds the person who holds the anger because anger is a very um damaging emotion and if i spend my time being angry with you oddly enough i'm poisoning me Mm -hmm. very very peculiar but that's exactly the way it happens so i can say you know you you were a real jerk and you left me in a terrible position, and I don't know whether you intended to hurt me or you just did it sideways, but I'm no longer going to waste my time hating you. I'm going to spend my time loving me and doing the best I can. And mm-hmm. we're still back to that same answer, doing the best I can, because that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. And I'm planning to move on. And what happens to you is probably somebody else's um, responsibility, mm-hmm. not mine. And I don't even know, maybe you're going to change and recover and and get over your bad ways and and be something different. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, realize what I do as a therapist is I work with people who want to get over something and do something different. That's my whole experience. And so I feel a little justified. I feel a little (laughs) validated because I thought, man, I just can't go there with that kind of anger. And I wrote a song couple of years ago a few years ago called how do you sleep at night and and my whole my thing comes out differently mine was like uh, uh, how do you sleep at night Uh, how do you close your eyes uh, when you know that today you've made another woman cry you know that kind Mm, of thing right I feel sorry for that person I gosh yeah I feel sad for that person but I feel thankful that that person was exactly like that when they were brought into my life because I found my voice on that topic I figured out where I stand on that. I figured out what was going on with me. Why would I get with somebody who was like that? Why would I allow that? And I feel like I grew from it. Yes. So I'm thankful overall. And I can't go like, well, I hope you die. (laughs) I just can't. I just feel, I feel sorry for them. Uh, That's fair. Uh, Because people who hurt other people like you're describing are carrying anger and resentment and bitterness and all those horrible things pain pain right and you know, they can dump it on other people but they still you, you can dump it on other people all you want you still carry it with you if that's what you're doing if you grow from something untoward that happened to you something difficult that happened to you then you grow and you have the the privilege and the pleasure of appreciating your resilience and appreciating the way you can grow despite 
what's happened to you. We're back on that resilience thing. Back on that resilience thing. It just keeps coming up. So with the decisions we're going to have to face with jobs and employment and going out or not going out and how our lives are going to be different, we need to remember resilience. We need to remember resilience, right. So we can be resilient in our own way. And you and I might choose different ways and other people might choose different ways. But we're, as a collective, can do our best and we can learn. You can learn from your decisions. I can learn from my decisions. Other people can learn from their decisions. And we can compare notes and get an idea of what really might have worked and what really didn't seem to work. What about people whose jobs have gone away? Right. And they've always kind of thought in the back of their minds, if I had my choice, I'd rather do this, but they're afraid to. Right. What are some things that they can tell themselves to kind of give themselves the courage and the boldness to go forward and do those things that they know really that they would love to do? If you want to reach out in a new direction, it's going to be important, again, to respect yourself when you go in that direction and say, I don't know whether this will work or not because it's new to me. So I can only do my best and the things that work I do more of and the things that don't work I do less of. And if the whole thing blows up, then I fall back and I find something more structured, more available that I might not like, but that might ultimately work for me because I have an income and I, I get to eat. But in so the it's meantime, not a do or die. It's not. Very few things are do or die. And, and that is such an important point is most things we can learn from and then go a different direction or improve ourselves. But very few decisions are do or die. So you hit a dead end? You hit a dead end, and then frequently what you want to do is turn around <laughs> and see what's in the direction you came from. Uh-huh. Because as long as you're still moving, you're still growing, you're still thinking, you can change, you can develop. It's when you walk into a dead end and you insist on facing that dead end that you're in major trouble. And when you start telling yourself, nothing I ever try goes successfully. I always fail. Right. Um, very few people always fail or you couldn't be talking to me. <laughs> so, Whoops. What some people do is if I fail, I am a failure. But if I succeed, I am not a success. Wait, wait. Oh. Okay. Isn't that interesting? So the specific failure makes me a global failure. But the specific success doesn't make me a global success. Whoa. We, we have a problem in the way we're setting up our rules. So I tell people, a specific failure means you failed at that thing. You're not good at that. Whatever that was, yeah. you can't make bread. Who cares? Yeah. But that doesn't make you a failure. As a cook, you can do other things. Or in life, you fail at the what's-its. But that doesn't mean that you can't do other things. Similarly... When you succeed, actually, I would prefer that you not view yourself as a success because you succeed because then you're vulnerable to failing and then becoming a failure. But if you succeed at something, then I want you to say, wow, I'm really good at making bread or whatever the thing was that you succeeded at. Mm -hmm. But that's only a part of myself or my personality or my skills or my, my whatever. And rather than thinking of ourselves as a unified entity. Mm-hmm. I do everything great. Yay, I do, I've won the game of life. Uh, right. I do everything terribly. To say, I'm really good at this, really not so good at that. 
And some of the things I'm not so good at, I can improve on. And some of the things, it's really not worth it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no matter how much effort I put into it, that's not going to be my thing. Yeah. yeah. For me, anyone who knows me knows that nobody would ever hire me to drive a truck from <laughs> across country. <laughs> Why is that, Dr. Sherrod? <laughs> I don't have good depth perception. I don't know where I am. I don't know where the other cars are. <laughs> I drive small cars in known areas. <laughs> Sorry. I got gotcha. you. That one is not worth working on for me. Yeah. I, I think if you spend time worrying about the things that you can't do, and as I say, I, I correct for it by driving small cars in known areas. Right. The, the, so I function within my issues, but it doesn't make me particularly good or bad. It, it, just, it just is. It's just a thing. We go through more of life that way, then we have more energy to deal with the times we fall down and need to brush off our knees and get up again. And I think you said do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. More of what works and less of what doesn't work, yeah. Um, is it like the 80-20 rule or something like that? Or is do you find those rules helpful in life or do you find that just makes us try to do math and mess ourselves <laughs> up more? It depends. Some people like the numbers. And some people don't do so well with the numbers. But for some people, yeah, the 80-20 rule or the thirds, a third of the people will approve of you, a third of the people won't approve of you, and a third of the people won't care. Sometimes those number things work. Yeah. Um, but for other people, they don't communicate as well. So I'm kind of willing to go with what works for the individual I'm talking to at the moment. Because I heard, uh, are you familiar with Russell Brand? Mm, not sure. I listened to some of his, uh, he teach has teachings and reads things from psychology today and mm-hmm. things like that. And he used the 80, 20 rule. And he said in like in relationships, something, something to the effect of to have stronger relationships, you want to kind of keep the 80, 20 rule in mind and give critiques only like 20% of the time oh. and give okay. positive reinforcement and compliments 80% of the time. Like if you're overly okay. critical right. and you're, criticizing someone 80% of the time, it's not going to make your relationship better. No, it's going to make your relationship <laughs> awful. That That's true. Yeah, I would I would completely agree with that. And virtually everyone who gives um, a number or percentage on the appreciations versus the critiques, if the appreciations don't outnumber the critiques, there's going to be a problem in the relationship. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that you'll know it really clearly because the other person might remain cooperative with you if you have more power over them. They just won't like you. And as soon as they can get away, they'll get away. So controlling someone through power, you only have control until they can get away from you. But cooperating with someone with appreciation of what they have to contribute typically sets up a relationship that can continue as long as it's reciprocal. What did you mean controlling someone through power? Power Um, meaning the... Power meaning you have to do what I say or I'm going to cut your salary. You have to do what I say or I won't let you leave the house or Mm -hmm. whatever. I have some kind of power to restrict the way you function in life. Are criticisms a form of power by saying I have the power to approve what you do or disapprove? If, approve of what you do. if you respond to them as if they're personal, yeah. Uh, criticisms are intended to be personal. We can take them as personal or we can take them, again, as, boy, you're in rough mood today. 
the more information they have about what you need to do differently, the more information is in it, and the less it's critical, it's teaching. So if you took a dog and you were trying to groom it, and I could see where you went wrong, and I said, no, you have to do this first and this second and that third and that fourth, and you did it in the wrong order. You Okay, that's information, and I'm teaching you. Mm. But alternatively, if you get the dog and I say, well, that was stupid, you'll never learn how to groom dogs, there's no information in there. You don't know what to do differently. So that kind of criticism is just a put down. I'm acting like I'm superior to you because I have more information. I'm not sharing my information, but you're stupid because you can't read my mind or know how to do it the first time. Whoa. It's important to pay attention to what's in the criticism is it constructive criticism where I'm actually giving you a great deal of information or is it destructive criticism where I'm saying you're useless Mm -hmm. so you want to pay attention to how someone is conveying information to you and as we start to interact with people more I think you told me this years before but there's a certain way to show appreciation to people and there Mm. are certain ways that are not really as helpful. Would you kind of go over sure, those? Sure, absolutely. If you're just joining us, we're with Nashville psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherritt. We tend to want to think, oh, you did such a great job and you're such a wonderful person. That, that was terrific. What have you learned from what I said? I like you, mm-hmm. but you haven't learned anything. And I can go to the next person. You're a wonderful person and you're terrific and I really enjoy whatever, being around. Again, it's so global and it's so vague, it doesn't mean anything. But if I were to say, one of the things that I like about you was you met me outside and then you came in and you said you were going to have to clean because of the COVID, sterilize everything. And then you you gave me the specifics of when you would be back outside so I could look for you. That was very helpful for me because you know the drill here and I don't. So thank you for making it clear what was going to happen. That's very specific. And what, what does it feel like to you inside that? Versus what I said earlier about how wonderful you were. It feels like uh, you actually meant it. And there was there were things that I know in my life I can do more of what works rather right. than just right. possibly empty flattery. Right. Empty flattery really is empty because, again, I could use it to the next person. Mm-hmm. It was it was not personal. You're the okay. best. Mean it. Love you. Mean it. Exactly. So but when I watch what you do. And my appreciations are based very specifically on what you do. Johnny, I had told you that I wanted you to bring your bike in before dinner. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I got dinner ready and I called you to come inside and you brought your bike in before you came in and washed your hands. Really appreciate the way you listened to me. That's specific. Ah. And it's not that hard to notice and remember what people are doing well. Too often, what we get is if Johnny doesn't bring the bicycle in, we tell him he didn't bring the bicycle in, but when he does bring the bicycle in, we ignore it. That's backward. That's not what we want to do. So if you pay specific attention to something that someone did Mm -hmm. that you admired or you appreciated, I see you out in your garden every day pulling weeds and planting new things. I really admire the way you work on your garden. That's, again, very specific. Not, gee, you have a great garden, which is not very specific. I mean, it is kind of, sort of, but not really. And so 
when you notice that you actually have to think about what, how you're going to compliment or appreciate someone, then it's probably more specific to that person. And when you could not logically use that same appreciation for the next person down the line, it was specific. Oh, when you could not logically use that same appreciation for someone down the line. Right. That's what we're looking for. Uh, is a very specific appreciation to give people because mm-hmm. that shows them that I was actually looking at you. I wasn't just throwing, as you say, empty flattery, empty words. I follow Miranda Hart. She's an, a comedian and an actress, and she's been using this time to put very uplifting, positive messages out to her followers. Okay. Uh, I clicked on something and I ended up getting an email and it said something like Hmm. uh, you're doing great and then it said no matter what your circumstances are and especially if they've been especially trying lately Mm -hmm. you're still here you're still moving forward and you're doing great and I wanted to tell you that and I just I felt uplifted and I thought that was kind of generic Mm -hmm. however Mm -hmm. I think that most people would feel like aren't we all going through something all the time is that probably safe to say whatever you're going through people are most of the time going through something yes that that's true i have a little concern about being told that you're doing great because you what if you're not um what if you're really not doing great and and why is doing great the standard because most people don't do great most of the time Oh, I'm kind of sucking at this today. <laughs> but if you, well, it, I think that's what we're taught. And social media, I think, enhances that belief that we should be doing great. So when I go home in the quiet of my own little house, then I recognize that I'm not doing great, but I'm not going to tell anybody because, oh, geez. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I worry about those 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 great things. And I sort of prefer... People aspiring to do okay, to do all right, to do the best I can, which I think is attainable. But it's not possible to be great all the time unless you're just lying. (laughs) (laughs) I think. So aspire to be okay. Okay. And to do the best best you you can. can. Yeah. Actually, I say something terrible to my clients. I say, I aspire for you to be average. And they're like, you think I'll never be wonderful. And I'm like, I think you're here because you want to be wonderful and you don't like yourself very much. And the more you aspire to be wonderful, I'm afraid that the more you fail to meet your standards and then you're left beating yourself up. And I'm not saying that you lose all standards. I'm not saying that you don't try to do well. I'm saying that if you aspire to always be wonderful and great, you will probably fail at that because people are not wonderful and great every day. They just aren't. Yes. Um, Most of us. There might be one person out there who can do that. I just haven't met them. Okay, so we're almost out of time. So I think that's a perfect thought to leave you with. Uh, We're talking with Nashville psychologist Dr. Catherine Sherrod. So rather than aspiring to be wonderful and failing, because that's uh, such a hard Thing to attain. I think aspire to be okay with where we are, 
recognizing that being okay with where we are doesn't stop us from aspiring to be a little better, but not necessarily awesome because that's hard to accomplish and to do the best we can, which frankly is about all we can do. Yeah. And the best we can, by the way, varies from day to day. So some days my best is not nearly as awesome as it is on other days. And I do well to remember that. Do the best you can. Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) We're going to post more information on our Focus Facebook page. Thank you for joining us. Nashville psychologist, Dr. Catherine Sherrod. Thank you again. Make sure you join us again next week. I'm Anna Marie, and that's Focus.